Welcome to a special edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. We branch way out, way beyond the Arizona Cardinals and the National Football League today. Our guest, the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference, George Klyovkov. The hot button issue right now in college sports is the college football playoff expansion model of 12 teams, which recently fell through. Where was the Pac-12 in all of this? What were Georgia's thoughts on what went down inside that room when they voted against the model? And what are his thoughts on where the Pac-12 is with regard to scheduling college football games and trying to be more of a player with television and getting an audience beyond the West Coast? I would like for our best teams, particularly late in the season, if they put themselves in a position for a CFP invitation or for a Heisman Trophy vote to be able to highlight them earlier in the day as opposed to playing in the nighttime West Coast game. Also, the NIL, name, image, and likeness. How is that shaping the future of college sports? George is very familiar with all of this, even though he's in month number nine as the commissioner of the conference. He was the president of entertainment and sports for MGM Resorts. He worked with Major League Baseball with the National Hockey League and bringing the Golden Knights to Las Vegas. So he's very familiar with putting on a show with regard to sports and making sports entertainment. He'll talk about that and much more. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Sign up for BetMGM today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. New customer offer, paid and free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Here he is, the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference, George Klyovkov. Well, George, first of all, I really appreciate you doing this. This is actually primarily an NFL podcast through the Arizona Cardinals and my job as the play-by-play announcer for the Cardinals. But we branched out and done guests from the entertainment world, from the NBA and college sports as well. We had Kirk Herbstreet on during the college football season. And I wanted to get you on to talk college football, to talk college basketball, but to start by talking about what the first eight months on the job have been like for you in this position? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the joke is that the last eight months have been the most interesting decade of my career. <laughs> my, my, my timing was impeccable. I started on July 1st, which was the first day of NIL, name, image, and likeness. It was a couple weeks after the Alston decision by the Supreme Court. And a couple weeks before we found out about conference realignment with Texas and Oklahoma, uh, you know, leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC eventually. So it's been challenging. There's been a lot of stuff going on. I I would say, personally, it's been humbling and motivating uh, to work with our world-class universities and to support the amazing student-athletes that we get to work with. Um, So unprecedented change, but but very exciting for me. And I'm, you know, I'm not a guy with a long background in history in college athletics. This was a new space for me. Yeah, you you mentioned... Your timing, I mean, this is the wildest time that I can remember in my 49 years on this planet for college sports and just everything that's going on. You talked about NIL and, you you, you know, everybody right now, the, the hot topic is college football. And I, I want to get there in a second, but your, your history in, in charge of, you know, being the president of entertainment and sports for MGM Resorts, 
How do you feel like, and I know you've talked about this elsewhere, elsewhere, maybe you can go a little bit more in depth here. How do you feel like that shaped you for this job and the challenges that being the commissioner of a major conference, what that requires? Well, I've been in sports and media and digital technology for 25 plus years in my career in, in different places, professional sports, as well as, as you mentioned, MGM Resorts. I, I work for Major League Baseball Advanced Media and I've worked for big media companies. And, you know, I, I think of sports and what we do as kind of a subset of entertainment. And, you know, we have other issues that we have to address because of the unique nature of our student athletes. But at the end of the day, we're putting on a show and we're creating made for television content. And I think lessons learned at MGM Resorts and at Major League Baseball and, you know, working for media companies really aligns well with what we're trying to do particularly for the Pac-12, which, you know, has less than two and a half years left on all of our current media rights deals. And we're just starting the process of renegotiating those. When we think about that, we have to think about what's great for our media partners and our fans and our student athletes. What made for TV programming should we be creating? Well, don't leave ESPN just yet, George. I feel like we're just getting started with, even though it's <laughs> your with uh, with Bill and obviously doing the college football games on the Pac-12. What would you say your goals are that, you know, you want to accomplish not just for the conference, but to for college sports in general and the direction where college sports is going. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about college sports more broadly in a second, but but we've had since I started, I think I actually announced it when I was um, introduced months before I started. We've had four key priorities for, for the Pac-12 and um, just in order of kind of priority. The, the, the first is um, historically, our conference has been the best in class in supporting student athletes, right? We've been ahead of the game on benefits for student athletes. We've been ahead of the game on diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. Um, we, we were the first conference, as an example, to include student athletes in our governance structure. And that's a leadership role that I want to continue to extend for the conference. Uh, second priority is related to football and men's basketball. You know, we are a power five conference that hasn't won one of those two sports, a national championship in 17 years. And uh, I think that's just a really difficult position to be in and an unfortunate position and inconsistent with our history uh, going back of being very strong in those sports. So everything we can do at the conference level to optimize for CFP invitations and men's basketball tournament invites and seating, we're going to do. Uh, our third priority is to continue our leadership position in being the conference of champions. Despite kind of that drought in those two sports, we've dominated all the other sports. I think it's 53 of the last 60 years, including each of the last 16 years. We've won more national championships than any other conference, and we intend to continue that and extend it. And then finally, fourth, fourth priority is what I mentioned before, which is we have all of these media rights deals coming up for renegotiation and we have to balance how we think about uh renegotiating those media rights deals and who we choose to be our partner or partners in that space um with revenue in mind certainly we you know the money that we distribute from our media rights deals is what supports a lot of our student athlete programs but we also have to look at broader exposure and um, flexibility with how and when we play our games uh, to allow us to continue to compete competitively in all of these sports. So along those lines, George, and this is something Larry Scott, your predecessor, 
had discussed. What are your thoughts on you know noon Eastern kicks, but they're, they're nine eight local kicks on a Saturday to try to get the Pac-12 uh, viewer into that early window on ESPN or on Fox, or you know having games on different nights. Obviously, Thursdays and Fridays have been you know longstanding. There have been games in the Pac-12 on both those nights, but can you just talk yep. about that with regard to scheduling? Yeah, listen, I think there, it's all trade-offs, right? Uh, we, we have played 9 a.m. body clock games. I, I was at the game where uh, Oregon beat Ohio State at, at the Horseshoe earlier this year. That was a 9 a.m. Oregon body clock kickoff, and we did very well. Um, making that a regular programming feature on the West Coast, I think, might be a little bit more difficult. Um, but here, here's how I think about it. Um, we are the only Power 5 conference that has teams in the Mountain and Pacific time zones until BYU joins the Big 12 in a couple of years. And as a result, we are able to provide programming in a primetime West Coast window for our partners at ESPN and at Fox that others can't provide. That's really, really valuable. And we get paid a premium to do that. Now, that comes at a cost. Right? Part of the cost is uh, in the stadium. It's harder to build kind of family traditions of going to games when you have young kids if the game is starting at 7.30 or 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, kids might not be able to stay up for that. Part of it is national costs, right? Uh, we, we have games that are played where by halftime, 75% of the population of the country is most likely not watching the game because they're in bed. And that hurts us for AP votes and CFP votes and Heisman Trophy votes if we're focused on football and we, we just have to balance those. So do I want to play uh, and be more creative and be more flexible about playing in different um, time slots? Absolutely. Do I want to work with our media partners to have a little bit more control over which of our teams play in which time slots? Uh, absolutely. I, I would like for our best teams, particularly late in the season, if they put themselves in a position for a CFP invitation or for a Heisman Trophy vote to, to be able to highlight them earlier in the day as opposed to playing in the nighttime West Coast game. That doesn't mean we won't be playing a game then. It just may be two different teams. Before we jump into the college football playoff expansion discussion, I'm, I'm curious, do you think, George, that you're the only commissioner that uh, tweets out about shuffling Dre, Snoop, and Eminem uh, for his music listen in the morning. Like, I don't know if I see Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, or Greg Sankey doing that. Uh, but it's I, think, I, think, I think Greg Sankey and I are the only ones who uh, routinely use Twitter personally as opposed to the conference. All of our conferences use Twitter. But Greg, Greg and I seem to be active on Twitter and uh, follow each other. And what I would say is, Greg's an intellectual. Greg uh, often tweets out what the last book is that he read uh, and why it's important to him. Uh, I'm focused on, you know, when I'm not talking about conference stuff, I'm, I'm focused on music and I'm focused on fishing and other stuff. And I, I, I think that probably explains uh, the difference between Greg and I. He's very cerebral. No, but I, I appreciated that tweet. I saw that. And then I also saw some of your, your tweets with uh, – a fish that you caught. There are fish stories, but you actually have proof as you tweeted out uh, a picture of you, or it actually might've been your avi on your Twitter at one point with you. and you know, 
yeah, that was a, I, I went ice fishing for the first time uh, last month uh, outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I, it was on a Friday. And, you know, I took Friday off. Uh, and I, I kind of felt proud of myself for taking a Friday off in the middle of the basketball season. And uh, the fact that I caught a bunch of fish was great. And I, I was happy to share it. But the message there was really, I'm taking a personal day. And uh, I was encouraging the other folks who work for the Pac-12 to take personal days as well. I think recharge is, is important, particularly in this job. This is a 24-7, 365 job. There, there is no downtime in college athletics these days. Well, I often take personal days, George, the day after working with Bill Walton, who you know very well. Uh-huh. And, and I do. Bill is a big champion of the Conference of Champions. Uh, how much time have you spent with Bill and what was your first experience like with him? Well, as a fan, I had listened to him and watched him, uh, you know, on games for a long, long time before I actually met him. I met him when I was at MGM Resorts in Vegas. And, you know, part, part of my responsibility was we ran uh, the Mandalay Bay Event Center, where the women's basketball tournament for the Pac-12 is, and T-Mobile Arena, where the men's basketball championship is. And, you know, I... I as, as the person who was running sports and entertainment at MGM, it's just natural that you run across Bill and get introduced to Bill. And I was quite surprised in advance of one of the tournaments, I think it was a couple of years back, he, you know, he found my number, called me, and he said, I want to know all about MGM. I want to know about T-Mobile. I want to know about, um, you know, everything that you guys do and, and how T-Mobile fits into that and how the Pac-12 fits into that. And what I found is that he's just incredibly diligent about doing the homework you know, before he gets on the air and then he drops all these little tidbits as you know, better than I do, but that, that those tidbits come from lots and lots of work behind the scenes before the game starts. And I was the subject of a lot of that when I was, uh, before I joined the conference. Oh yeah. I think at one point you might've actually been part of Walton bingo. There might've been a square with your name on it because there was a, <laughs> where you were getting a lot, a lot of mentions and, you know, with your work, in connection to you know the city of Las Vegas, I'm curious, what's the reception of the Raiders been like there, and, and how do you see that continuing to grow in Vegas? Well, I, listen, I think all professional sports that have come to Vegas have seen have seen great success, right? I I was very fortunate at MGM to oversee and run the Las Vegas Aces, uh, which is a WNBA team that we brought to Las Vegas several years back. Uh, one of the last things I did. Um, at MGM before I left was to actually sell the aces to Mark Davis, who owns the Raiders. Um, as I mentioned, running T-Mobile Arena, uh, we were the beneficiaries of the Vegas Golden Knights expansion team. I mean, maybe the most successful expansion team in the history of professional sports, making the Stanley Cup championship their first year out of the gate and being in the playoffs every year. Um, and the, the Raiders, I think, will find great success here. And it's good for the Raiders, I think, to have a home and to have passionate fans that, you know, previously had not had an NFL team to root for. But I also think it's great for the city. I, I, I think, you know, more than two-thirds of the folks who are in that stadium are traveling from out of town, come to Vegas to go to those games. You know, most, most of those traveling fans are Raiders fans from California and other places, but there are also lots of fans from visiting teams. And that uh, really helps the economy here in Vegas. So. I think it's a great thing. So let's shift gears to to college football and the recent news, George, about playoff expansion. 
not happening, falling through. I'm not sure if that's the best way to describe it, but I think for, you know, for people that were hoping that there would be an expansion beyond the four teams to 12 before the contract runs out in 2025, the hope was that you guys would have been able to get something done. That didn't happen. Where it, and I read that the Pac-12 was one of three conferences, the other two being, you know, the Big Ten and the ACC, part of the alliance with you guys, uh, that you guys, you know, voted against it. I know you had talked publicly a lot about being a proponent for expansion. So can you just kind of tell everybody, you know, the timeline of that? Did something change along the way? What ultimately was it about the uh, expansion? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try and make it as clear as possible. And again, you have to balance. Like, I really think one of the mistakes we've made is to um, announce a formula that not everyone that needed to agree to it had agreed to yet and to miss set the expectations. So to get into the details of who said what in the room, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But at a very high level, I'll tell you kind of what's public and, and it will explain what happened. Um, the, the way that the construct currently is for uh, college football playoffs if you want to change the format or anything else during the current term, you need unanimous consent from all 11 people who get to vote. And the vote comes from the board of, uh, uh, board of the CFP, which is made up of 11 presidents and chancellors, one from each of the 10 FDS conferences and Father Jenkins from Notre Dame. And there's a board of managers, which are the 10 conference commissioners and the athletic directors of Notre Dame, that make recommendations to the board on how to vote, but eventually the, the board has to vote. And you need 11 yes votes to change anything within the current term. And the proposal came down with the 12 teams, um, you know, six uh, automatic qualifiers, six at large, uh, playing games in December, four games New Year's weekend, and then semifinals and finals in, later in January. And I actually think there's quite a lot to be said for that formula. We had some issues with it, specific timing, you know, where the playing games would be played, you know, uh, some academic and um, kind of student health issues that we actually worked through. And if the question at hand would have been, um, do you want to expand for years 11 and 12 in the 12 team proposed model, our vote would have been yes. And I think despite the fact that our vote would have been yes, um, it would not have passed because the uh, the other two uh, conferences that you mentioned are on the record saying they would not have voted for it for different reasons. The ACC just doesn't think it's the right time to expand. And the Big Ten has publicly said that they don't think six automatic qualifiers to the six highest um, ranked uh, conference champions is appropriate. They think each of the power five should get an automatic qualifier and then one automatic qualifier should go to the next highest uh, ranked conference champion. So I would have voted yes, but that wasn't the vote. The vote was, um, will you agree to expand to the 12 team playoff for years 11, 12 and beyond, you know, like years 13 and beyond. And what we have in years 13 and beyond is no current contractual commitment to each other. There, there's no grant of rights. There's no, there's no contract. So, uh, what you need to expand beyond that is just enough people to say they want to agree on playing in a certain format and then move forward. And I'm in favor, the Pac-12 is in favor of all sorts of different expansion um, formats. We've been in favor of 12 teams, 18, 
six plus six, five plus one plus six, which is what uh, the Big Ten has asked for. And the only thing I said is there are some issues that we need to resolve before I can vote yes for that. And the one that gets widely reported is um, the Rose Bowl. We can talk about that in a minute. That's a tiny little issue. Set that aside. The other thing I said is I also want to know whether we're sticking with the current revenue split or whether people are proposing changing the revenue split, understanding that the pie will be bigger. There'll be more money if you're playing more games. And the answer I got is we're, we're not going to commit to the current revenue split and we're not going to discuss that. Uh, so are you voting yes or no? And in my life, I've never voted or signed a contract where I don't know the financial terms of the contract. So I was forced to vote no. Uh, I would much rather have agreed on expansion. I continue to want to do the work behind the scenes to solve the open issues, our open issues, the ACC's open issues, the Big Ten's open issues. I think we're going to get there. But what I really hope is that we actually do the work first and then announce the outcome as opposed to uh, announce what a couple of people have agreed to and then hope everybody else comes along. So, and I do want to get to the Rose Bowl because, yeah, people have brought that up as, as a, you know, as a proposed sticking point. Um, why were there so many that voted for expansion, not knowing the financials beyond 2025? Well, I think several of them uh, probably think that they deserve more of the financials and are, you know, may or may not want to demand that. Uh, I think others are desperate for access to the CFP and would have voted for anything that gave them access. Um, so, you know, I, I can't speak for other commissioners. Uh, I don't know the answer. Um, I, I think we're going to get there anyway. And the other, I guess the other thing to focus on is if we know because we can't get a unanimous vote that we're not expanding in years 24 and 25, and we're really talking about what does it look like in 26 and beyond, we got a couple of years to figure that out and lots of other stuff is going on in college athletics that we could hopefully settle or resolve or get a little bit more peace around before we have to decide this. This is not the highest priority. And I think kind of putting it on the back burner for a little while is helpful. So touch on the Rose Bowl if you can, George, and then just if you can follow up on what you just said about issues that are more important, maybe kind of give us a sense of, you know, in your mind what those issues are. Yeah, so, so uh, just quickly on the Rose Bowl. Uh, the Rose Bowl, as, as have all of the other New Year's Six Bowls, and the, particularly the contract bowls, have been very flexible as the playoffs have developed and expanded. And as an example, you know, one, one every uh, three years um, in the current cycle, the Rose Bowl doesn't get to play on the day and time it wants to play. It plays later and it plays as semifinal. Um, so, what, what I would say is uh, in the 12-team proposed model, each of the six New Year's Day bowl games uh, would commit to play a semi, uh, sorry, a quarterfinal, quarterfinal, semifinal, and the quarterfinals would be on New Year's weekend. So two years out of three, they'd be, the Rose Bowl would be playing in its traditional time slot, and the third year, it would be playing a semifinal a week or two later. And... The Rose Bowl has the right, if they want, on the years where they're playing a semifinal, to also, also host a traditional Rose Bowl. And don't know whether they would do that or not, but they have the right to do that. Now, remember, they wouldn't be getting my number one or two team against the Big Ten's one or two team, because if you put 12 teams into the 
playoffs, now they're getting my give or take third best team against the Big Ten's give or take third or fourth best team. If you look back over the last nine years of the CFP, so you've already kind of hamstrung what that Rose Bowl looks like. And what we were asking for is very simple. Uh, during the times, if the Rose Bowl chooses to have one of those games every three years, we don't want the CFP to further harm the Rose Bowl by counter-programming a quarterfinal in that same three-hour time slot on January 1st. So literally the protections we're asking for for the Rose Bowl is three hours every three years. And we've also said if other bowl games want the same protection, we think it's worthy of giving them the same protection for their traditional time slots to the extent they have them um, during the New Year's weekend. And for me, that's like a very small ask that helps balance um, progress and expanding the CFP against the more than 100-year tradition of the Tournament of Roses and the, and the granddaddy of them all. That's a difficult balance, but if what you're asking others to give up is counter-programming three hours every three years, I think it's an incredibly small ask. I think the vast majority of people in the CFP room support that. I think there are a few folks that um, you know, would like to see the Rose Bowl harmed, but the vast majority understand the tradition and um, the importance of balancing the tradition there. Last one, because I know you got to go, and uh, I, another time maybe we can talk uh, about the NCAA tournament. But I'm curious because you did mention there are some other things you think are more important right now uh, in college sports that need to be addressed. What what would that be? Well, I'll, I'll give you four that I think are kind of top of mind right now. Uh, you know, so we we had in late June the Supreme Court decided a case called. Alston, which was whether or not the NCAA could create um, a limit on the educational benefits that we provide to our student athletes. Um, and basically, the Supreme Court said any decision you make that applies to everybody will be subject to antitrust scrutiny, and you can't make a broad decision that limits any school's ability to make a decision to provide those kind of benefits. Uh, I agree with that. There happened to be a concurring opinion in that Supreme Court decision from Justice Kavanaugh that took it 10 steps further and said, not only would it be subject to antitrust scrutiny, but uh, your student athletes should be deemed to be employees. And um, I I think if you go down that path, uh, we have not done the work to determine all of the harms that that would create. Uh, I believe if our student athletes are deemed to be employees, you would be creating a really, really bad situation for the student athletes, right? If you're an employee of a professional sport, do you get to choose where you play or are you drafted? Can, can the schools trade you? Can the schools fire you if you're an employee, if you're not playing well? Plus, I think there would be knock-on negative implications of that kind of a finding that would include probably a defunding of, of most or all of the other sports that are not uh, profit-generating. So I, I think that's a really slippery slope. So that, that's Alston. Uh, NIL is something we're working through. Uh, the fact that we have a patchwork of state laws is, is a problem. We, re- we really need a federal um, kind of standard there. And for me, there are three bright lines on name, image, and likeness. One is it shouldn't be able to be used for inducement. I can't pay you to go to a particular school. Number two, it should not be used as pay for play. I think everybody's in agreement with that as well. And then third, the payment for name, image, and likeness has to be commiserate with the work required, right? I, I think if we're paying a kid a million dollars to show up for an hour for the opening of a grocery store, 
I think that's not really paying that kid for his or her name, image, and likeness, right? It's, it's kind of hiding one of the other two things under the um, guise of name, image, and likeness. But all those can be resolved with, with uh, federal legislation. Um, the two others that kind of jump to mind is the NCA decided to undergo a constitutional convention starting in July that uh, is continuing through this year. And that's really about how will some subset of the schools uh, within Division One or within the NCA self-govern? How will we set our rules, enforce our rules, um, and, and, and set kind of guidelines that make sense and run our championships? Uh, what's clear is it won't be kind of the way it historically has been, which is kind of one rule for all of Division One, Two, or Three. That doesn't make sense. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, we had starting in July with the leaking of the news about Texas and Oklahoma, a bunch of conference realignment uh, issues that have not yet fully resolved themselves. You see schools suing conferences about when they get to leave their conference. Uh, we are very fortunate that the Pac-12 and our friends at the Big Ten and at the ACC all independently decided that you know, all of our members are happy where they are and that we actually uh, don't want to expand. Um, and part of the reason why the alliance was formed and announced was when we had each independently come to that conclusion, we thought announcing that would actually add some stability to what, if you recall, back in July and August was a vibrating uh, kind of uh, environment in which no one was comfortable. Everybody thought, oh, my school could get poached to that conference or this conference. So a little stability uh, we thought would help. Listen, George, I appreciate the time. I know the two of us have not had a chance to connect in person yet. And with, uh, as you know, Fox having the, uh, the Pac-12 tournament this year for men's basketball, I uh, won't be able to see you, but hopefully uh, I'll have a Pac-12 football game this fall. We'll be able to uh, connect. I appreciate the time. Bye now. So a lot of new information there from Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov with regard to where the Pac-12 stood on playoff expansion for college football, the finances that were involved, also a little bit of the scheduling and how the 12-team model would have looked in terms of how far and deep into January it would have gone, and also what that would have meant for the Rose Bowl. It seems like maybe some of the reports about how important the Rose Bowl was in the decision by the Pac-12 to say no to the college football playoff expansion model. Seems like that was just a little bit overblown based on what George was saying there. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Thanks again to our guest, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov. I'm Dave Pash. Thanks for listening to the Dave Pash Podcast. <laughs>